0: Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 8, Our Knees Do Not Bend Easily. Insert funny uh, fellatio joke here. That's what she said. We are your normal cast of characters. I'm Scott, we have Brooke and Matt here as well. Hey. Hello. And uh, we'll be covering uh, covering five chapters this week, just like every week. We'll be giving a brief summary and then uh, diving into some critical analysis by the team. Uh, this week we have Eddard 9, Danny 4, Bran 5, Tyrion 5, and then a double dose with Eddard 10. Uh, that's chapters 35 to 39 according to the Wiki of Ice and Fire. Uh, just to uh, do this every episode, just a reminder, we're spoiler free until the very end of the podcast uh, for a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. We'll play a nice nifty little uh, musical segment courtesy of Matt to warn you that it's coming. So you'll get you'll plenty of time to get away if you're not it shouldn't be in being spoiled. This episode was recorded, uh, what, Matt, four, five days? Five days after the release of A World of Ice and Fire. Uh, Indeed. I got my copy on Saturday. It's amazing. I've had no time to read it because I've been preparing for this episode. But, uh, the pictures are amazing. My son Luke loves them.
1: It has good pictures.
0: It has great <laughs> pictures. And, uh... I'm just really excited to dive in, learn some more about the world. And Matt, I know you got it on uh, on Kindle, right?
1: Yeah, the digital copy, and it's been fantastic. I've been marking away at it. Um, a lot of stuff that's in it so far is stuff you can already find in the other, you know, Song of Ice and Fire resources out there. But just having it laid out in that in a nice, organized manner is is a lot of fun, and learning a lot of new things. Definitely recommend it.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's based for those that don't know what it is. If you're interested in picking it up, it's basically it's kind of like a history book written from the perspective of a maester uh, that lives in Westeros. That's trying to, he's basically trying to impress the current king uh, to get funding so that he can produce copies of this book and and distribute it across the land as like a history of of their continent. Pretty, it's a pretty interesting idea, and uh, reads kind of you know like a history book and covering a lot of different areas, but uh, very cool. I'm very excited to dive into it more.
2: Me too. I haven't picked up my copy yet. All of my energy has really been focused on finding a new winter jacket, but right after I accomplish that monumental task, I'm definitely picking it up. Well,
0: it when does sound you live like a in difficult one. A,
1: when you live in a barren wasteland like Calgary, you need to have your priorities. So.
2: Yeah. When you're a shallow idiot like me, that's where the priorities lay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How difficult can it be, Brooke? You're gonna pick a black one. We all know it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But fur <laughs> trim, down lined. Well, we'll see. I'll let you guys know.
0: All right. We'll tweet so, out a picture of we'll Brooke's. Tweet out new... a picture of Brooke's new jacket. Oh. All right. Uh back on track. Sorry everyone for the <laughs> departure. Uh we will uh we we always encourage uh encourage you guys to contact us with any uh any questions you've got or comments? I love hearing from our listeners. Um, all the usual channels: DavosFingers.com is our Tumblr site. Uh, email at weareDavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter at DavosFingers. That thing's been lighting up like crazy lately with all of our all of our new followers. Uh, and also, you can find and like us on Facebook as well. We do some updates there too. So, uh, without further ado, I think we'll jump right in to Edard Nine. And Brooke, I think you're taking this one if you want to get us kick started.
2: Yes. Cue the Ned music.
3: Winter is coming. Like a dire wolf prowling in the dark. he will tick off your head, but his friends call him Ned. Warden of the North, yeah, he's Eddard Stark. People are probably getting so sick of that song. No wait. Awesome. No, it's
2: so good. Reminder yeah. to our listeners, all of the uh chapter introduction uh jingles are ri- original compositions by our very own Matt. Very impressive.
1: And yeah, we've had to li- hear Edward like twice a podcast, Edward, excuse me, <laughs> like twice a podcast for the last two or three, so Yeah. Uh, maybe I need to write us in more a
0: second. More fans one. of these books than yeah. calling him Edward. <laughs>
1: Well, we're getting the off to a good
0: start.
1: <laughs> calling him this Edward, we're talking anything. about Brooks' winter coat. <laughs>
0: On Dallas Fingers episode 8, Edward and Brooks' <laughs> new black coat.
2: So, last we heard from Ned, uh, Littlefinger had offered to take him to the brothel Ned had Jory searching for. And sure enough, he finds another wee Baratheon bastard, a little black-haired girl that the besotted, red-headed mother had named Barra of all things. And now that Ned knows that Littlefinger knows what he's looking for, he asks Peter what other bastards Robert has sired and why John Arryn would be looking for them before his death. And Littlefinger kind of plays him off before Ned can sleuth further. And uh, then boom, their little party is attacked by Jamie Ethan Lannister and some Lannister goons right in the streets of King's Landing. So, Jamie has learned that Catelyn abducting, abducted, uh, has learned about Catelyn abducting Tyrion and about Ned's fall from Robert's Grace. And he tells Littlefinger to scram. And it's obvious that Jamie's out for some bloody retribution rather than some bargaining because he doesn't actually make any demands for Tyrion's life. Ned tells him that Catelyn will certainly kill Tyrion if Jamie kills Ned. And Jamie calls his bluff, saying that Catelyn is too honorable to do that. Uh, then he says he isn't willing to chance his brother's life on a woman's honor. And the world groaned. And then he orders his men to kill Ned's, Ned's men being vastly outnumbered by uh, the Lannister goons. So Ned fights back, but he is crushed under his falling horse and gets a nasty compound fracture to his leg. There are descriptions of splintered bone. It's lovely. So he can't do much as his loyal men and Jory are cut down right there in the street. Um, Littlefinger eventually returns to the scene with the city watch and they get Ned back to the castle, but the damage has been done. Ned is mercifully given milk of the poppy and is treated by Grandmaster Pycelle himself, and he passes out. And that's the end of the chapter. So chapter is mostly just Ned getting completely jumped by Jamie um, uh, outside of this brothel. So Ned is down with a broken leg the Lannisters had made a responding move to Catelyn's first play, and we know that Robert has sowed a little seed and chucked a little corn all over the dang kingdom. <laughs> so, knowing that, should we talk about how Ned was totally cool with his men fooling around in a brothel while he did the hands work? Because I feel like that's, like, classism. But maybe it's just Ned not dying on the hill of a young warrior's lust. I don't know. <laughs> Did it not seem weird to you guys? He was like, yeah, no problem. Head off to the stables. Just <laughs> do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, you want to play some strip poker right in front of me?
1: But How I that? do like I, I do like that when he was ready to go and he's like, okay, guys, we got to go. Like there was no hesitation, right? They yeah. jumped right up. He's like, please just one more hand. They got right back to uh, right back to work.
2: They regained a little bit of their professionalism, <laughs>
0: doing right. up their pants, running after Ned. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> the one guy to the south. Amazing dexterity doing it one handed like that. Uh, by yeah, doing it, it I mean pulling his pants up. Uh, <laughs> You're on a roll today. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually I actually like the way Ned handled that. It showed it showed that he's a little bit in touch with reality. These guys are soldiers. I I know Brooke, you'll hate me saying this, but soldiers kind of do this. And he's just kind of dealing with it. He's like, you know what? This is how men are. My men love me for not making a big deal out of this, and you can tell they love him because they respond to him as soon as he wants them to.
3: Yeah.
0: I liked it.
1: You ditch the night watch, we'll cut your head off. You want to play around with some hookers? That's all right.
0: <laughs> all right, yes, but let's not let's, let's again not try to uh, try to throw our moral standards <laughs> on this world. I see in, I see exactly or what or you're saying. The profession in this world is yeah. a reasonably respected one. Yeah.
2: Well, the respectfulness of sex work aside, it's pretty clear that Ned would never actually purchase the pleasures of a working woman because he feels it is dishonorable. In fact, Absolutely. during this chapter, randomly, out of nowhere he starts thinking about Rhaegar Targaryen, the prince of the Mad King, Ares Targaryen, thinking that Rhaegar probably wouldn't frequent brothels either. He's He was he was a stand-up kind of guy. So it's interesting that the man held so much esteem in Ned's eyes. And um, you kind of got to wonder, um, and I'll bring this up because it was pointed out in uh, the Radio Westeros. Um, uh, there, um, R plus L equals J, which... Our, our listeners who don't want to be spoiled, you don't have to look that up. You don't have to find out what that is. But in that, their episode, uh, they bring up the fact that uh, Ned really, up until this point, never thinks any sort of ill will about Rhaegar Targaryen. And uh, it, it's just interesting, especially since Ned fought so diligently um, to overthrow the Targaryens and uh, put Robert on the throne.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's Robert's best friend. Uh, Mm -hmm. He and it was
1: his sister who Rhaegar apparently captured and raped.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and allegedly, and Mm -hmm. yet he has enough honor that he wouldn't be in brothels. Kind of a yeah, interesting, interesting set of an interesting comparison about their sets of values. Ned is Mm -hmm. saying, "I'm like Rhaegar. I'm not. I'm not into these brothels, right?" Although he doesn't know that for sure about Rhaegar, but he's suspecting. He, he kind of says something like he didn't, he didn't imagine he would frequent them, whereas he's just been to, you know, this this whorehouse where uh, where the king, his best buddy, has, you know, gotten a child on one of them, and we know he's a frequent user of them. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, it's it's an interesting comparison. You know, would 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 Ned and Rhaegar have been friends under different circumstances? Um, is it somewhat unfortunate? That That he became Robert's best friend because they're so incompatible or or is it is it the uh, you know the old comment about uh, you know opposites attract kind of thing in, in the world of friendship that, that you get along well with people that aren't like you sometimes?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think in this case it, that the opposite attract thing is more like Ned and Robert really complement each other. Yeah, and that Ned needs Robert to help soften his edges. Let them loosen up, have some fun, think back to that breakfast that they had uh together on their way back down to King's Landing. Absolutely when they both Yeah. Um were were really truly themselves with one another because Robert could be honest and um forthright and Ned could loosen up a little bit. And it was and it's thanks to their compatibility.
0: Yeah. So the uh the 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 big moment that happens slow, sh- sh- very shortly after he's having these thoughts about wondering whether Rhaegar Targaryen was a a user of the sex sex trade <laughs> uh is is the ambush of Jaime Lannister on his party and what a turning point i mean it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's it was almost it was almost a slow play by George right like I I for one have been sitting on this information for several chapters wondering when the shoe's going to drop. It's like we've known he's been captured for a while, Tyrion, and when is something going to happen about it? And uh you just kind of waiting for it.
2: I th- I think I feel like George was kind of building it up cuz Tyrion said at several different instances, you know, this is going to piss my brother off or my brother will, you know, seek retribution or, you know, you'll be hearing from my brother. And us as the readers up until that point could kind of doubt it, kind of say, uh, Jamie, Jamie might not be that upset. This might be good that Tyrion's out of his hair, but um, this turning point was a shocker that Jamie would take such extreme measures against Ned, like literally attacking him in the street, not, not looking to, you know, bargain for Tyrion's life, but just to like, just go mad all over, uh, Ned. And,
3: uh, uh, just the
2: strength of his passion speaks to how much he does care about his brother and how upset he is about this. Yeah.
1: And he's, and the ballsy thing about this is Jamie's a member of the Kingsguard. Yes. Like he is not supposed to be loyal to his you know, to, to family loyalty and stuff like that. He's loyal to the king. Like he's he's a government official, <laughs> you know? Um uh, and he shows up with a bunch of his father's men, a bunch of Lannister guards, as he is a member of the King's Guard. I think that's super ballsy. Yeah, because, we talked uh,
0: about this before, right? With with kind of the way George treats the King's Guard and you know, Matt, you compare them in one of our episodes to to Secret Service, kind of, right? They're kind of they're kind of removed from normal duties. Their <laughs> duties. They're supposed to be taking care of the king, not engaging in family warfare or family politics. Yep. When they take that those oaths, they're supposed to kind of be out of it. And it's
1: very similar to the Night's Watch. Yeah. In that mm-hmm. regard.
0: Yeah, yeah, in some ways. And you know, you see, you know, we've seen the series that. Sometimes oaths are not all that they're meant to be, but you know, George just kind of lets this go, kind of pretty frequently, with with letting the Kingsguard do other things. And Jamie's a you know seemingly a frequent detractor from his vows.
1: Well, and Robert's not too difficult to protect. It sounds like
3: at times. <laughs>
0: He's either
1: in the bar or in the brothel. So as long as you've got two of the Seven Kingsguard Guard watching him at one of those places, the other guys are probably pretty free to do what they want. Right?
2: One guy at the door, the other guy holding his hair.
0: Wow. <laughs> I don't. I, don't God, I know you love Robert. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture why they're holding his hair. Which two insta- Which of the two locations he's at that needs his hair being held? Uh, I'm trying to just trying not to picture it maybe.
2: You just yeah, you just get on with envisioning that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you guys think um, Littlefinger knew what was coming?
2: Well, I believe yes because Littlefinger Varys Pycelle have their finger on the pulse of everything that goes on in King's Landing, and I imagine they keep an extra sharp eye on the Lannisters. So, I would say somebody knew that Jamie had found out about Tyrion being captured, about Ned losing the position of the king's hand, and about him gathering up Lannister men. Also, uh Littlefinger's um his lack of surprise or outcry, but I don't know if that's just his personality or just yeah. like the, yeah. the way he handles situations.
0: He just but, kinda he, he kinda walks his horse up and he's like what is the meaning of this?
2: <laughs> what are you
1: doing? What? It's almost like he's reading <laughs> yeah. notes he'd taken on his hand, you know? <laughs> From
0: a cue card or something. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. And but more it, than
2: that, he, he didn't argue to stay or to help mediate yeah. the situation. He's like, oh, I can leave. I'm out.
1: <laughs> and, and George makes a point to say that the Lannister guardsmen parted and let him pass. Oh, that was interesting. You'd think that if Jamie wanted to take care of this, he'd be like, nope, no witnesses. uh, And would have have, uh, held on to him, at least until he'd done what he needed to do, which adds to the ballsiness of what Jamie's just done. He's like, yeah, let him go. Still kick your butt. the
2: the evidence could swing either way that he knew or he didn't know about it, but just us being exposed to Littlefinger shenanigans and his, his constant don't trust anyone warnings, he just, like, you can't even. You have to give him the benefit of the doubt that yeah, he wasn't on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. From t- I mean, we've we've talked about about Littlefinger's motivations and what game he's playing in a few recent episodes of this podcast. It just it it lends. I mean, so so one of the most recent Ned chapters is the one where Ned's planning on leaving, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's getting out of here!" And then Peter stops by in the final final page of that chapter and convinces him to stay. And basically convinces him to stay to come see this this whorehouse. Well, you know, <laughs> he knows exactly where Ned's going to be. He could have set this whole thing up if he wanted to. I don't know what incentive he has to do that, but I don't know what incentive he had to be helping Ned in the first place. So it's it's a guessing game for me with him. I I, I, I do not. I think of myself as a reasonably intelligent dude, but I do not have the brain power to keep up with Littlefinger's uh, ballyhoo and tomfoolery. <laughs> is japes yeah Is japes
3: oh well um
1: and then the other maybe the final thing that at least i found interesting with this is ned as you know as devoted to honor and as honest as he is as soon as it comes up about you know Tyrion being captured by catlin ned fesses up lies and says it was me that that uh, commanded her to do that. I told her to take Tyrion. He doesn't even think twice, it sounds like. He's like, yep, it was me. Uh, so I thought that was that was interesting, that yes, he does value honor quite highly, but when it comes to his wife and his family, maybe it plays second fiddle.
0: Well, it goes back to what, what Ned said before about, um, about uh, I don't remember, good lies. It wasn't good, that's not how he put it, it wasn't good lies, but uh, on, on, lies with honor. I think he was talking about Arya and, yeah. uh, and her lies and, uh, that you know, even that her lie wasn't without honor. Um, uh-huh. Ned is, despite what people say, Ned is completely willing to lie. It just needs to be the right circumstances. And uh-huh. this is one of them. And, um, you know, in, in, in fact, what he told Kat was the exact opposite. Get home as soon as possible and get our defenses going <laughs> mm-hmm. because the Lannisters are gonna come after us. What I did not say was go after the Lannisters please immediately. So uh, yeah, I mean he's he's a stand up guy. Yeah. There's not much else to say about it.
1: So say How we all <laughs> Should we
0: jump to Danny? We can jump to Danny. Silver hair
3: and purple eyes, always on the go, kicking with the sun and stars. Call him Caledro. Oh, she knows just where she gotta go and won't be tardy. look how Westeros! comes the nearest Targaryen.
0: So it's been a while uh, since since we uh, talked, Danny. Uh, we haven't seen a chapter from her since uh, our episode five. I think it was eight or nine chapters ago. So it's it's been a while. They are just now arriving at the destination that they've been writing at for, low these 10 or 12 chapters. And you'll see why uh, a little bit later. Essos is just a huge place. So they finally arrived at, uh, I call it Vais Dothrak. It could be Vais Dothrak. I say Vais Dothrak, which is the main Dothraki city. And to call it a city should not obfuscate the fact that uh, there's there's no desire to build anything uh, on the part of the Dothraki, everything that they have there is is brought. they are trophies from other conquered cultures, um, or buildings that have been built by slaves they've brought from other cultures. So it's it's not your typical city, but it is expansive and huge. So they've arrived at Vaes Dothrak. Um, Danny talks about how she has begged uh, with every <laughs> possible skill she has uh to get Viserys back into reasonable standing of the Kalisar. He's back riding, uh no longer in the cart uh that he was riding in before or or walking at the back of the of the Kalisar. <clears throat> and they they talk she talks with uh with Jorah about a lot of things as they ride, and one of them is that Viserys is growing tired of waiting. Viserys actually says, When am I gonna get my army that I was promised? And uh Danny actually agrees when she's talking with with Jorah. She says, "Yeah, it's not right for for my husband to deny him his his uh, his army." But Jorah then explains the difference between Dothraki gifts and trading. Um, <laughs> that Danny was a gift to Kaldrogo, Drogo, and Kaldrogo Drogo will give, then give in his own time a gift of an army back to Viserys, and that's how things work. It's not a traditional trade system. So then Danny and Jorah start talking about the possibility of a Dothraki victory in Westeros, uh, driven by her, her brother at the head. And Jorah ensures her that, that Viserys would not be successful, but has to give it pause uh, when Danny asks if somebody else leading the army might be successful. Uh, that if, if they were to meet in the open field, the Dothraki would have a chance, but that they're not uh, into siege craft and probably couldn't take the castles of, of, of Westeros. So all this talking happens, some some interesting discussion points, uh, and they eventually arrive at the main part of the city, and uh, dismount. And Danny learns that Drogo will be going to sacrifice to the gods for his safe return, and this is I'm sure Brooke appreciates only done by men. The women are not allowed to go to the mountaintop to make the sacrifice, but it does mean that Danny gets some much needed rest and alone time, and. Uh, Of course, just as we all would want to do with the limited amount of alone time and and rest and relaxation time, she decides to invite Viserys to dinner, everyone's favorite companion. (laughs) So she gets uh, her handmaidens to get a non-horsey meal prepared. Viserys doesn't like eating horse meat. uh, So they get a non-horsey meal prepared, and she lays out some just lovely garments that she's had prepared specifically for Viserys to help him fit in a little bit better uh with the with the dothraki, so they're in the style of the dothraki clothing, light and uh vests and some you know loose leggings and things like that, but also mixed with his Westerosi heritage dragons are mixed in and things like that, so she's taken a lot of time and care to uh to, you know to put some thought into these and have them done in a way that he would like and uh he of course arrives and hates them. <laughs> to the point of the dragon almost being awakened, uh, he is intimidating her, gripping her arm, uh, pressing his fingers into her flesh, and she has grown enough now that she's not going to take it. Uh, her independence is shining through, and she reaches back and grabs the belt she had, uh, prepared for, uh, made for him, and wings it at his face, cuts open his cheek, and, uh, basically threatens him that if he ever does that again, she's going to have her husband kill him. And uh, he leaves. She gives away the the dinner they were preparing and decides to cuddle up with uh, one of the dragon eggs and falls asleep, calmed by its presence as her little fetus reaches out to to grip the dragon's egg that she's cuddling. Kind of a calming (laughs) end to a somewhat disturbing chapter. And that's it.
1: Nice to see Danny yeah. again.
0: It is. It is. So, I, I talked uh, I talked a little bit about you know the ride and the continent and and uh, how long we've been away from Danny and how long they've been riding to this place. So, sock and sous map us, except you can't because George didn't give you a map in Game of Thrones of Essos. Uh, so there are plenty online. I'm sure everyone's capable of looking. Uh, There's one we like a lot, Matt. It's uh, Galanix.com. What is it?
1: Uh, Yeah, Galanix. If you just Google Galanix, G-A-L-A-N-I-X, and then maybe do like A Song of Ice and Fire, it'll pull it up for you.
0: It's a great little interactive map. It's got all the houses on it, and it can show you how big Essos is in in reality. And What you're really looking at is um, the the road from uh, Pentos, where uh, Illyrio is from, to Vaestothrac, and it's a long damn way, and that's why it's taken so long.
1: And actually, this Galenix map has a little feature where you can like do this little keystroke thing, and like if you drag your oh, okay, and it, you can see how many miles it's supposed to be. According to the map, it's about thirty-one hundred miles from Pentos to Vaestothrac. According yes. to the map
0: that feature would have been really helpful when we were theorizing how, long it, how far it was uh, in the north and everything several episodes ago.
1: I totally just found it out. <laughs> it's right there on the side in the map features section, um, and I've never read that part before.
0: Oh, uh, cool. Isn't
2: that like how wide America is? Like 3,000 miles? Um,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, about. I think so. <laughs> I that's know. crazy.
1: Yeah, that's a long way on a horse.
0: Well, I can tell you from, from Salt Lake to Tucson, which is where I went to school, it's uh, almost 1,000 miles. So that's, a little, that's. I don't know if that, that puts any context into it. but, So it'd be like driving from Salt Lake to Tucson, then back, and then one more time down. <laughs> but on horses. <laughs> but on horses.
2: Yeah. That's it. Our entire audience got it. Yeah, our entire they
0: audience. Know exactly I'm sure we made, made that drive a bunch of times.
1: Nailed
2: it.
0: Go Tucson football team. Yeah, they lost this weekend. Let's move on. Uh, so, yeah. So it's it's basically all we're really getting at is it's a long damn way. All this stuff has been happening in the world, and it's been weeks of time. And believe it, because it's a long way to get there. And um, and that's that's really what they've been doing. And and they've been doing it all just in, in case you missed it. They've been doing. They've been going through this whole ride, really, for one reason, to to go and uh, get the marriage. Kind of blessed by uh, the crones, what they call them, and and also uh, the, the new baby brewing in the belly to, to get some prophecy for for that little fella uh, or or little girl, depending on what she is, what he or she is. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a, a long trip for that purpose, but uh, that's the reason for it. It's kind of a weird chapter. I. I, I You know, the last chapter we had for Danny was all about growth. You know, her becoming kind of her own woman and empowering herself. This one's a little weird. You learn a little bit about the Dothraki culture, how it's grown, uh, that, you know, they used to to be more savage. I think, Brooke, maybe that was in your notes, just about how they used to be more savage than they are now. They used to share their women, for instance, uh, but they wouldn't share their horses. Nice. Uh, a, a nice cultural thing to have, I suppose. <laughs>
3: well,
2: well, the actually, this chapter is really well written in that George kind of used Viserys series as a bit of a scapegoat for the counterculture, stuck up. I hate to say it, the American who is looking down on um, the Canadians. A... <laughs> on an unfamiliar culture that he considers to be savage, but, um, Danny has really accepted it and we're shown more than told that she views it as just a different way of life with a different set of values, but still very much a, a, a valid place to uh, call home and to be accepted by.
0: Yeah. She says So it was a says- good
2: chapter for that.
0: She says, these are my people now, brother. You should not call them savages.
1: Yes. Yeah, it, it goes very well in line with what we've talked about in past episodes about George's brilliance in writing POV characters and writing from their perspective and that as she's becoming more ingrained in this culture, so are we because we're seeing this culture through her eyes.
2: Yeah. But even that being said, what gave me a little thrill in this chapter is when her and Jora are talking and uh he brings up like Ned Stark and how much he hates Ned Stark and oh. and to have Danny be like, What's Ned Stark like? I was just like, Oh, oh There's a connection. Yeah, um, world's colliding. Yeah, but uh the the best was when Jorah tells Danny that Robert should have been born Dothraki, yeah. which uh, kind of neatly ties up what uh, I think, Matt, you and Scott discussed last episode, and that Robert makes a better fighting king than a ruling king.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that, you know, judging from Robert's conversations with Eddard, um, he's frankly scared to death of Khal Drogo. Um, and it's funny that they're so much alike.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think he's—I yeah. think he's scared of the Targaryens, but he knows that Khal Drogo provides some—some uh, some muscle. The fifty thousand Dothraki screamers. Yeah, right. Sorry, yeah.
1: I'm bringing Mark Addy into this.
0: I love, series, I right. love his performance. Love it. Big Mark <laughs> Addy fan, but, uh, but, but from before when he was doing comedy on a show called uh, Still Standing, I think. I don't know. Anyway. Um, so I I, I found that the most interesting thing I found about this chapter was when when uh, Danny kind of says, "Well, what if it weren't Viserys leading them? What if it were somebody else?" And I immediately thought she was thinking of herself when she was asking that question. But later in the chapter, she's she's uh, ruminating about her fetus, and and I, I got the impression maybe she was just wondering about whether he could lead the army. Did did, mm-hmm. did either of you guys get that impression? Yeah, that's exactly
2: what I got. Mm-hmm.
0: You didn't think she was asking for herself, so she's still not to the point where she thinks she could do this. No.
1: Nope. Um, I, I think she definitely sees herself. I think she definitely sees herself as a a wife of a great warrior, and I think she's found a lot of strength and she feels like a very strong character. But I don't think she sees herself as a warrior herself.
0: Well, there's something in there where she's talking about. The Iron Throne, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know whether she feels like it really belongs to them. Maybe that was in an earlier chapter. But no, I do, I, go ahead. yeah,
1: she's, I think she's definitely starting to see herself in a ruling position. Yeah. And she's starting to consider something she's never considered before, which is maybe I would be okay if Viserys wasn't in the picture. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, which is which is interesting too. When Viserys kind of says that at the end, toward the end of the chapter about I'm your king, and and I'm like not really, like she would probably like she's totally like you just said, Matt. She's totally in this role of being Drogo's wife and being this this powerful woman in this in this in this Kalisar. She's not gonna go to Westeros with him, do you think? Like, take your ten thousand. See you later.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. Uh mm-hmm. huh. I don't think she'd go with Viserys.
1: She's definitely separating herself. Yeah. Mentally, culturally, everything. Yeah. Brooke, do you want to reveal uh, here now on the Davos Finger podcast the name of your new band?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So as they're walking through all of the spoils of war that the Dothraki have brought to their city, um, the series is like... Grumbling and groaning, complaining that he gets distracted
0: <laughs> because what he
2: sees um, a statue with six breasts and a ferret's head.
0: And I was like, "Yes, that's it.
2: <laughs> six breasts and a ferret." So, so
0: what is that? So what does that mean? There's three three girls, three girls, and then and some then... some either guy or girl wandering around with a like a ferret head on top. No,
2: no, I assumed one ferret-like figure features. Yeah. With a ferret's head and then six ferret teeth, Like an animal has six, right?
0: <laughs> but for a band, Brooke, I'm the sure six it's, breasts it's... would be three females oh, playing okay. some sort of instrument. Yes. The actual yeah, band there'd itself. Yeah, would probably be
2: two bass players. Because... Yeah,
0: because cause chicks can only play bass. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the unwritten rule. God, no. The uh, runaways are just rolling over in their graves if they had been dead.
1: Hey, smashing pumpkins. Right.
0: <laughs> oh. So uh, I have a The More You Know announcement, too. want to make sure the record is clear. Uh, for any newly pregnant women out there listening to this podcast, if you haven't been reading, don't take the advice of Danny on scalding hot baths don't do Was it that bad? yes yes oh. you absolutely cannot boil you like stul- your kid yes you, you, <sighs> you can you can kill your child in your belly if you take a really hot bath there are clear <gasps> guidelines as to how hot your water should be and uh, you cow. need to be careful so don't read this assuming it's okay she has fire in her blood so probably she's counteracting it somehow
2: <sighs> thank you for letting us know Ugh. Yeah.
1: Don't I'm sure say everyone that already, warn you. That,
0: that's that's pregnant not to do that, but I just figured the more you know, moment. Let's pass that information along.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we uh, talk about Bran, little Brandy boy? Yeah,
3: let's do it. Five, six, seven, eight.
1: Brandon
3: Stark, won't you come back down from that tower? Your mind's been flying from. Legs don't work but they don't really need to work When that third eye showing you new ways And explore it and the summer's gonna come You know what's gonna come Summer's gonna come and boy you're gonna fly away
1: So we're getting back to Winterfell now Crossing the narrow sea and going back to Westeros Where Bran up in Winterfell is finally getting to leave the castle And go riding on, on the new saddle that Tyrion had given him the plans for uh, he's excited. He's nervous at the same time. He's joined by a small party that includes Rob, uh, their direwolves, Wind and Summer, and Theon Greyjoy, who's becoming more and more as we see him. He's such a bro. I just I can't help but just smile at the guy. Uh, I went to I went to high school with about fifty different Theon Greyjoys, and and I love seeing his character develop. And a few others, Maester Lewin's there, and a few other guards as well. Uh, We get some connecting tissue with uh, Rob and Bran up in Winterfell and uh, the rest of the family down south, and also Benjen. As Rob tells Bran that they've received some communication um, talking about Benjen's disappearance beyond the wall, he hasn't been seen for a while, and also about uh, Catelyn taking Tyrion and Ned's injury and all of those different things. And we also found out that... um, Rob has sent writers throughout the north uh, delivering messages from Rob. Uh, we can perhaps assume that he's preparing the, I don't know if we call them vassal lords, but his bannermen is the word I'm looking for, uh, for potential conflict. So as they're strolling through the woods and talking about these things, <laughs> Rob, like here's public service announcement number two. He decides to um, well, first I should step back and say that Rob and Bran had gone off by themselves at this point. The other men were following at kind of a leisurely distance behind, and the wolves had also left to go hunt. Um, and, and here's where we get to the public service announcement. They want to go home. Bran wants to go home. So Rob goes off to find the wolves and leaves his injured brother all alone in the woods. Probably something you shouldn't do. Just leave your brother alone in the woods. It's it's never going to work out in any story. And sure enough, Rob's not gone like 30 seconds before Bran is surrounded by a group of uh, a fairly motley crew, uh, four guys and two gals. Uh, and Bran notices pretty quickly that some of them are dressed in black, almost like members of the Night's Watch. And it becomes apparent that they are from beyond the wall uh, And as the, the conversation between them uh, focuses a little bit on they don't want to go back north where the White Walkers are, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, but they are going to essentially—we um, don't know if they're going to—they're going to kill Bran or just rob him or whatever. They do want some of his stuff. Bran's dressed up rather nicely, and that is, of course, appealing to these thieves. Rob returns in the nick of time and fights along with the Direwolves to save Bran. Uh, Rob at the tender age of 15 gets his first kill and, um, does a great job at killing these, uh, little dastardly villains. And we get some very graphic descriptions of what the Direwolves wolves do to, uh, some of these guys as well, ripping out their intestines and stuff. It's very cool to the point that there's only <laughs> one left, uh, a guy named Stiv. He's holding Bran at kn- knife point. He gets him off his horse and is holding him at knife point, uh, ordering Rob to kill the dire wolves and everything. And if the- he does so, he'll let Bran live. And then all of a sudden, uh, an arrow, sp- I think the word George used was sprout, it sprouts from uh, Stiv's chest. And they noticed that Theon had shown up in the nick of time to to kill this guy. Something that kind of angered Rob a little bit, uh, knowing that he could have missed and hit uh, Bran. Um, But anyways, all is well. The bad guys are dead. There's one wildling left, uh, a female named Osha. Rob decides to show her mercy and takes her back to Winterfell for questioning and to kind of find out what's going on. And that is the chapter. So. An action-packed chapter a very graphic chapter Uh, we see a lot of fun things happening um one thing that i liked in this is the intuitiveness and and the loyalty and and all these different almost human characteristics of the dire wolves Uh, even to the point where we found out that they'd been before this whole experience had happened, they'd been howling the night before and things like that. Uh, maybe around the same time as as Ned getting hurt and clear down in uh, King's Landing. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about these direwolves and their developing relationship uh, with the kids. Um, it's just interesting to see them. Uh, how fiercely loyal to the, they are, you know, they're not just stopping these guys. They're ripping out their guts, you know, <laughs> uh, and no so one's, no one's stopping fashion. them
2: from eating the humans either. No one's like, no, wait, stop. Do not develop a taste for human flesh. That will only lead to
0: trouble. They're just like, yep. I don't think they're worried about it. I, I think they're, I think they, I think they trust those wolves at least the 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 kids themselves, the owners, trust those wolves implicitly, and yeah. they know that they'll do what they want them to do. If they're, are they gonna go out and kill kill some random kid in the woods? Yeah, you're right, it's possible. But
2: well, here's the thing: I'm not sure, even in Georgia's universe, that they were training dogs to attack men. Typically, dogs were used for like hunting or for retrieving or something like that. But you typically don't want dogs to attack humans because then they aren't trustworthy. So I think you're right that these that they've accepted their the dire wolves' elevated sen, uh, intelligence and uh, sense of reasoning, if that exists for wolves, and so they're like, that's okay if they kill some humans. That'll come in handy later.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What good is what good is a dire wolf pet to protect you if they're not going to kill humans?
2: I guess you're right.
0: But but uh, but I do wonder whether it is a mechanism of defense for those dire wolves or you're right whether human is just meat other than their other than their you know their own children that they're protecting, right?
2: Yeah, maybe that's what wigged me out. Was it wasn't just that they killed the humans, but they're they were eating. like yeah. like settling in and like muzzle deep in some guts.
0: Yeah, what was the line? It's something about uh pulling out blue snakes. Yeah. Of intestines, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was clearly intestines, like Matt said, but it was just good imagery.
1: So well yeah, described from an eight-year-old's point of view.
0: Well, right. almost almost the way the direwolf would think about it. Yeah. These blue snakes, you know? Mm. Yeah. Speaking
1: that. of killing people, what do you guys think of, of, of old hero Rob? Well, yeah. How's he developing?
2: Well, Bran certainly doesn't observe any hesitation or instant regret or, like... Like, Rob doesn't, like, kill his, make his first human kill and then stand there in shock and, like...
3: What have
0: I done? Yeah. No, he just, like, gets on with business. Mm-hmm. True Stark, I'd say. Yeah. You know, I'm... Uh, I don't know. I, I get mixed about all this battle stuff with... with sometimes I think it's really realistic. Uh, we'll get to a scene later in our analysis uh, in this episode that I think is realistic, but... Uh, a 15-year-old... I mean... Here's the thing. Gurm, Gurm makes a big deal out of training, out of quality training, and how that matters in battle. And I believe that. But he's actually fighting some guys that have been trained here. The the Night's Watch brothers are grizzled, trained men, right? Yeah. And he's 15. I mean, I don't. Do you guys know any 15 year olds? They're some of them. Some of them are very strong and big. But I mean, in general, they can't overpower 35 year old men. So it's I don't know. I, I struggle with this stuff sometimes. When when these young kids are just masters of battle, I struggle with it sometimes.
2: What really I don't want in this me,
3: one. go ahead?
2: I was just gonna say what really helps me see it is paintball. You get fifteen year old <laughs> kids out there, and they are vicious. They are warriors, and they do not hesitate, and they will take you down. I think it's just practice. I think that. Rob has just had a sword in his hand for so long that yeah, he probably true. has an equivalent experience, or at least his his um, having more substantial and quality training yep. makes his experience more valuable. Right. And George yeah, doesn't those... shy
0: away from that explanation ever, right? He always talks about the value yeah. of training and what an advantage that is. So that's that, that fits his narrative. I buy that. It's just...
1: And then the sometimes. this might seem too simple, but you really can't underestimate the value of being on a horse when the other people aren't. true. not only is it intimidating, but you've got a height advantage and a speed advantage and uh yeah, and he had that going for him too but
2: yeah, of course horses will kill humans and not eat them. That's nice
1: This <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know chew on you missing. a little bit. <laughs> I love the, the leader that Rob is shaping up to be, though. Um, yeah. He's grown a lot for, for a kid.
0: For sure. I was impressed with, with his, his lack of freezing, uh, you know, his, his action, his ability to seize the moment without second-guessing himself, which is a staple of teenagers, right? You know, the lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. I did disagree, though, with his treatment of Theon.
3: Oh, so did I, dude. I was just about to say that.
0: Yeah. Like.
1: He saved him. Yeah. Yeah, It was risky, but give him some credit.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, no way. You know what Rob was reacting to? The fact that Theon had six arrows all laid out in front of him, ready to take some easy shots. Then he uh, came very close to risking Bran's life. He didn't come charging in with a sword to help Rob. He waited until the last moment and then took a bad shot. And that's what Rob was reacting to.
0: Well, A, I don't think it was a bad shot, but B, all charging in does is let him lose the element of surprise. If he charges in there, then the stiv just turns and says, all right, both of you drop your swords and kill the wolves, or whatever. If he stops and takes stock of the situation, plants the arrows, gets ready, and measures his shot, instead of alerting him to his presence, he can actually save the day. I thought Theon did the right Uh thing. It's it's
1: like what a a sniper does.
2: I don't know, but it's also like what having a second gun on somebody does. So if if Dion was in there with sword at the ready, honorably fighting by Rob's side, then Rob would have basically a second threat on on Shiv, just like a second gun, right? So if you hurt Brand, you're twice as likely to get hurt in response.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But
1: I, I still think Rob was a little too hard on him.
0: Yeah, I, I just think if he comes out there, the answer is still the same for Stiv. It's like, uh, if you do anything, I'm killing this kid, and I know you don't want him dead, so I still have the upper hand. Both of you throw your swords in the stream, and I'll still ride away. Mm. I, th- I think he had, I think he had the ace in the hole with Bran, with Bran, and what had to be done was something by surprise to change to change the deck.
2: Maybe, yeah. But what this does tell us about Rob is even though Theon has been uh, fostered with them for so long, Rob's loyalty still lies
0: with his blood brother, Bran, right? Yes, yeah. And even though they're kind of bros, he's still taking them to task, right, for something he thinks is wrong.
1: He kind of—Bran almost makes it seem like Rob uh, looks up to Theon in kind of a way.
0: It's it's almost like the— The begrudging, I look up to you because you can get away with things I can't. Exactly. But I still don't really look up yeah. to you because I'm better than you.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: That's the way I see it.
1: I would agree with that.
0: What else we got? Lewin?
1: You, want, you, you were particularly impressed with something Lewin said.
0: Well, it's like the only line he had. And I thought it, was, it just... It, uh, Lewin sometimes drops these little nuggets. Uh, Folly and desperation are oft times hard to tell apart. He's referring to the Wildlings uh, and the Black Brothers. So I don't know that we've mentioned that. It's a combination of Wildlings and Deserters of the Night's Watch that they're fighting here. It's six or seven of them. And it's a, it's a strange it's a strange fellowship. Maybe not as strange as, as the original fellowship, but a strange fellowship. Groups of people that don't don't usually get along that well. They're kind of sworn enemies, really. And here they are kind of taking to the road together. And I think Lewin nails it. He's saying, well, you know, they're willing to risk and, and take this chance to, to steal from you. Uh, it's not folly. It's they're extremely desperate. They're trying to they, they got a, they got they got something chasing them or, you know, they, they're that hungry or, you know, something. And it, mm. it's just a little nugget that he drops for Lord Rob. you know, recognize it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes desperation can lead people to do things like this.
1: And Rob claims to listen to everyone. Yeah. He says that
3: specifically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, and they, and they do a careful, a careful and good. Somebody noted it in the notes about uh, you know, Cat as as we've talked about is extremely, in some ways, react reactionary, and um, what, what the word is, brash. I guess they use it in the notes. And you know, Ned is maybe too careful sometimes. Rob seems to be kind of getting somewhere in the middle, and this chapter showed a little bit of his development there.
3: Agreed. Good guy. Good guy.
1: Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about Tyrion now.
3: Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies Tyrion, Lannister, Rorymp,
0: if you please. All right. Tyrion. Well, uh, Tyrion, we get his account, uh, in this chapter from prison. He is, at the beginning of the chapter, he's battling wits with the witless turnkey named Mord. Uh, Mord is your hilarious torturer that likes to pretend, to pretend to give you food and then throw it away, uh, <laughs> kick you. Uh, in kind of your standard, your standard torturing turnkey. And uh, particularly likes a game where he offers Tyrion food and then takes the plate away and then takes the plate away and then throws it out of the edge of the sky cell. What is a sky cell, you ask? A sky cell is one of George's brilliant locations in this series, uh, which is the prison system in the Eyrie, which involves uh, a floor, a ceiling, three walls, and an open cavity to go flying off 600 feet down to your stony death. And uh, awesome. that's how they imprison their, uh, their prisoners. It's, it's noted in the chapter that it's the only place in the Seven Kingdoms where prisoners are encouraged to escape whenever they wish um by jumping out of the sky cell to their death uh in any event what's that it's brilliant yeah i love it it's it's a so terrifying terrifying (sighs) and just also just kind of against the beauty of the view that they have right just this beautiful view of the mountains and then it's just your death trap um and the, Tyrion mentions that there's a writing in blood on the wall about uh, a guy that said he was being called to the called to the blue, and how many people do more, more even comments about how many people jump, you know, and, and end their lives in these cells. But Tyrion doesn't want to end up that way. You get a little background. Tyrion stands accused uh, of murdering both Robert Arryn and, and sending after sending uh, the murderer after Bran that Caitlin stopped with her hands of steel he can't keep his mouth shut when he's being accused he uh his mouth gets him in worse shape than he's in (laughs) trying to uh, give attitude to uh to Lysa and uh they almost send him right they almost send him flying immediately but Catelyn steps up and insists that Tyrion is her prisoner that they've gotta they've gotta take him to his cell and and he's got to uh stand for his crimes Tyrion kind of laments the situation as he's in his Sky Cell. He's getting beat on by Mord uh, at every feeding. (laughs) Getting fed occasionally. uh, But half the time his food's getting thrown away. And he thinks about what he can do to get out of it. And um, he he actually also thinks a little bit about his siblings and what they might be able to do to help. Even suspects tries to reason out which one of them might be responsible for the attempt on Bran's life. Wonders if one of them did send the footpad after Bran. So Eventually, uh, he tries to seduce the galactically stupid Mord. Uh, he promises Mord all of his gold just for delivering a message to, Kat- to, to, uh, to Lysa Tully. Uh, the message, I mean, he's extremely desperate. He can't, can't seem to get away from this sky cell in any way, and eventually he's just going to starve to death or <laughs> jump out into the blue, or Mord's going to kill him <laughs> with his uh, boots to the stomach. So he he bribes Mord just to deliver a message to, to Lysa. Uh, the message is, I want to confess my sins. He thinks that is just the bait that Lysa needs, and he turns out to be right. Lysa assembles all the available lords anywhere within shouting distance and brings everyone together in the room to hear Tyrion confess to his crimes. Tyrion, of course, is too smart for that. He confesses to nothing at all that's important, but being just a, a degenerate gambler and... Uh, Visitor of of whorehouses, and uh, in the end demands a trial, saying, "Don't send me back to the cell. I demand a trial." And to which Lysa, in this battle of wits, says, "All right, go ahead. Explain your story, and Robert will sit in judgment." Tyrion, of course, knows that won't work. That Robert will just say he's guilty, regardless of what he says. So he demands trial by combat. And this is something it's uh somewhat new to the reader here, but anyone accused of a crime that is uh that is in doubt that there there's some evidence lacking uh, can request a trial by combat. Uh, the idea is in this world that the gods know who's guilty and who is innocent, and if you win in your trial by combat it means you didn't do it. Very logical type of <laughs> type of thing we got going on here. In this case, though, uh, Tyrion demands trial by combat and asks for Jaime to stand for him. But Lysa says, no, no, we're not waiting for Jaime. Pick somebody here. To which Tyrion looks around the room and wonders if he's going to get any sort of, sort of help uh, from somebody in the room to stand as his champion. Because he's injured and a dwarf and he knows he can't win. So he demands a champion and the room is silent. Until he receives confirmation from braun Tyrion's bridge over troubled water uh, to stand for him in his trial for combat and that is where the chapter ends
2: It's a bridge over troubled water
0: <laughs> that's right it's going all garfunkel on him.
2: yeah, so I wonder, as per the notes, is he being noble or opportunistic in standing for Tyrion?
1: uh one hundred percent not noble
2: <laughs> that's why you love him <laughs> that's that's
1: what I love about him um I don't want to talk too much about him this early on in his in his character arc, but uh bronze extremely opportunistic he he, he goes where he knows he can get somewhere, if that makes sense. That's a very vague way of saying it. But uh, I think one of his greatest strengths besides his sword is his exceedingly in-tuneness with common sense. And he knows uh, where he can get places. He can either, A, continue to be a mercenary and, and earn money that way, or B, he can stand up for a noble son of arguably, the richest family in all of Westeros and make some bank doing it.
0: Yeah, we've already seen he's a very logical person. He, on the road up to the Eyrie in the first place, they're talking about burying the dead, and he's like, "Um, go ahead, we're out of here. Yeah. I'm not very staying. practical. I'm not he's... staying for this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. he sees... So, so, so sometimes people on hard times, like what separates the people on... And this is... So some might see this as a callous way of looking at it, but sometimes what separates those people on hard times, those that stay on hard times, and those that rise, up, rise above it, are people that see the, opportun- see the rare opportunity that's presented to themselves to flip the script and change the game for themselves. Yeah. And I think Bronze, exactly what you just said, Matt, Bronze sees an opportunity to change his game.
1: And he's comfortable enough in his own skin that he's confident enough that he can do it. Like, oh, yeah, I've been fighting guys my whole life. What's one more? And the payoff could be
0: huge. But, yeah, I'm going with the opportunistic as well.
3: <laughs> I wonder
1: that,
2: not that, noble. that he joined Catelyn's little crusade and that he stood up for Tyrion. It might be logical or practical, but also it sounds like he doesn't have anything to lose. Oh, totally. Yeah. So he, not to dip too deep into a character that we haven't, had much revealed about, but, yeah.
0: Well, he, and he joined like... Catelyn for the same reason. He was being opportunistic. It's, yeah,
1: it's brilliant <laughs> either way. He's like, oh, look, two warring families, both are rich and powerful. Yeah. I had to shack up with them, and I could go either way and probably profit.
2: Yeah. So, it got nothing
0: else going on.
1: Yep. yep. Just sit in this <laughs> inn.
0: By the way, doesn't Catelyn, when they capture Tyrion in the first place... Say, anybody that joins me and helps me escort them will be handsomely rewarded anyway? Mm-hmm. Where did that go? I didn't see her give Bron anything. Not yet. Yeah. It's probably hey,
1: contingent on his safe delivery to blah 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 blah. blah. But well, yes, she should have paid him.
0: Well, it just seems Good. like... Good
1: call, Scott.
0: It seems like <sighs> if she'd have paid him, maybe he wouldn't be so eager to defend the, <laughs> defend the imp, right? Yeah,
2: you sound like a man with a mortgage. Where's the money? Why isn't me paid yet?
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, maybe it happened off camera.
1: How about the perfect? Um, just the ridiculousness. We talk a lot about this. This the whole, you know, how Tyrion acted during his trial and stuff. But how was there even a trial in the first place? This is so ridiculous. The the whole precedent of it. It's all based on is is nothing.
3: Yeah, All well,
2: right. he had demand. He had to demand his own trial, like in the first place.
1: Yeah, and... I shouldn't have said trial. I should have said accusations.
2: Okay. Yeah. You're oh, a yeah. monster.
1: So uh, we've accused you of killing Bran, and while we're at it, while you're here, you killed John Aaron too.
0: Yeah.
1: So <laughs> now we're gonna throw you out the moon door.
0: She's a witch.
3: <laughs> <Burn her. laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Witch hunt.
3: We have found the witch. Might we burn her? Burn her! <laughs> well, she's got a wart.
1: that's definitely okay we found a soundbite yeah
0: did you dress her up like this well we did the nose and the hat
1: (laughs) Uh. um Tyrion handled it brilliantly he's uh he's a very logical thinker and sometimes you think he's thinking two steps ahead i don't know that he was doing that in this case though um Certainly when he walked into the kind of the throne room of the Eyrie, he had an idea of, of what he was going to do. Uh, they give us hints of that as he they say he looked over, glanced over at Braun a couple of times. Um, but I think, you know, as far as getting out of his cell and everything, it was step one, get out of this cell. Step two, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs>
3: um,
0: this,
1: is, this is Tyrion getting a little desperate.
0: Yeah, well, he doesn't have a whole lot to go on other than that. I mean, what's what's his alternative?
1: Handles it brilliantly though. Great yeah. at thinking on his feet.
0: Yep. Yeah. Really good move. Just buy more time, figure it mm-hmm. out.
1: And uh we'll see what happens though. Um the Vardis Egan seems to be a fairly uh competent warrior. He was Liza Aaron's first choice. And um so who knows what'll happen. Excited to see it.
2: I kind of love the whole justice system in Westeros is kind of figure it out yourselves.
3: Oh yeah. It's... It
2: reminds me of the management and I'm making air quotes in our company. And for our listeners, we uh, work for a very organic company that doesn't have any recognized management. So you kind of, just kind of love to like deal with conflict on your own, mm-hmm. figure it out. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, definitely. It's, Kind of this. Futile... We don't even have HR. <laughs>
2: it's
0: yeah, <that's>... insane.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm figured out. And silent. <laughs>
0: uh, I I think uh, one one thing just one thing Tyrion notes in this chapter when you talk about the justice system and it's all figure it out on your own. There do seem to be like some precedents. You know, um, Tyrion is angered that she won't allow them to wait for Jamie to come be his representative. That, that maybe it's standard to wait. Um, you know, he seems kind of put off by it. He also says earlier in the chapter, well, if if Cersei's smart, she'll demand that Robert sits in judgment, that King Robert sits in judgment. And that's some sort of precedent has been set that kings can do that. Like, oh, I don't yeah. care whose prisoner he is, the king can make that request. And sure. he, he admits that, that Cersei's probably not going to think of that. But um, so it, it seems like there are precedents... But it's also kind of, given the communicate, you know, there's no cell phones being whipped out, whipped, whipped around out here, right? So, mm. it's kind of like, well, we sat in judgment already, sorry it happened, and what could people do? So, it's like, well, it's kind of the uh, ownership is nine-tenths of the law or something, right? Like, well, he happened to be here, and so we tried him. Sorry if that's not what you wanted. It's over now, and he's dead. You know? Like, they kind of... <sighs>
2: no you're totally right it's not people just figuring it out it's my tiny brain not being able to comprehend yes. the feudal system yes like mm-hmm. after living in democracy my yeah. entire life and only knowing that i'm like where's the governing body yeah, yeah. why is anyone standing for this yeah, yeah. why is this happening but that was what the, i guess that's why people fought for independence i get it now okay it's all coming
1: together <laughs> <laughs> and and the implications uh, they're not even thinking about you're going to kill the son of the like i said before the one of the most rich and powerful families in all of westeros maybe she maybe lysa feels a certain amount of comfort knowing that she's in the veil which is virtually impregnable yeah. She's she's okay with starting a war because she doesn't think that anyone can get to her up in her high tower, which is probably true.
0: Although it's a little bit different than what she said last time in Cat's chapter, which was, "I wanted to come here to hide, not start a war with them." Right? Uh, and yet here now... she's like, "Let's do this."
1: Yeah, I think that maybe shows how uh, how baddie she's becoming.
0: <laughs> well, and and how much Tyrion has enraged her with his comments. Yeah, too. yeah,
1: she's lost it. She gone.
0: She gone.
1: She gone. All right. Well, it'll be exciting to see uh, next chapter, how the big showdown, throwdown between old Vardy and Braun goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed. Looking forward to that one.
1: Let's jump over to Brookie, and you uh, will f- close us off with uh, Edard's next chapter. We are bookended oh. by Eddard this,
3: this episode.
2: Cue more Ned music.
3: Winter is coming. Like a dire wolf prowling in the dark. he will take off your head, but his friends call him Ned. Warden of the North, yeah, he's headed star.
2: All right, so we open with Ned dreaming well under the influence of the milk of the poppy. And it's apparently an old dream, which implies that he's had this dream a lot. And maybe it's more like a memory than a dream. So the dream goes as such much younger Ned with seven cherished Stark men who are long dead are up against three Kingsguard knights in the foothills of Dorne, which is a long ways from where the King Ares died. So his three Kingsguard are, uh, sort of on the loose and, uh, Ned is questioning what they're doing there. Uh, when he moves to fight them, by the way, we don't know why they're there, but when he moves to fight them in his dream, he hears his dead sister, Liana, screaming his name, Eddard, and there's a storm of blue rose petals across a bloodstreet sky, just tray dramatic and probably fitting for an opium-induced dream. Ned wakes, muttering, I promise, I promise, and it turns out that he's been out for almost a week. Unfortunately, Robert has demanded to see Ned as soon as he wakes. And even more unfortunately, Robert shows up with Cersei. Uh-oh. So Ned does his best to hide his out of it from the Queen and tells Robert, who is rightfully annoyed, that Catelyn took Tyrion prisoner by Ned's own command. So just as he told Jaime, Ned aligns himself with Catelyn and her decision. Ned and Cersei kinda have it out, uh, Ned demanding that Jamie be brought back to King's Landing for justice, because Jamie has, of course, scarpered right out of there after the attack. And Cersei tells Robert that he's weak and she ought to be wearing the male armor and he ought to be in the skirts in their relationship. Hey-o. Ooh, now I'm gonna say something <laughs> that I know all three of us had said before. Are you ready? Robert loses it, and he hits his wife, (laughs) landing her a backhand so hard that she hits the ground. And she recovers with an amazing amount of dignity and says that she'll wear the bruise that he leaves her with like a badge of honor. But later when she's gone, Robert admits that he shouldn't have hit her and that it's not kingly, but he doesn't know how to fight someone if he can't hit them. Yeah. Yeah. So before Robert leaves Ned, he tosses him back the king's hand brooch and forbids Ned from returning to Winter from returning to Winterfell. So Ned, Robert basically said, "Go back, go back to your lands of snow, um, if you won't agree with me." And this was their big fight over what to do about Danny. But now he's saying, "You're not allowed to return to Winterfell." Ned asks why Robert wants Ned to continue being the king's hand if robert doesn't listen to ned's counsel and robert admits that someone has to rule the kingdom so to seal the deal if ned ever tries to give the king's hand brooch back robert threatens to pin it on jamie lannister which is actually a really smart threat because and probably the the first smart thing robert says in that whole conversation
3: <laughs>
2: and speaking of smart, well i'm not condoning victim blaming here can we talk about how Cersei was kind of asking to be hit in the face by telling Robert that a Targaryen would never let their hand talk to them that way? Like, could there be anything <laughs> she could say that would enrage Robert more? It's like, damn,
0: woman. Yeah. She, she,
1: she was lit- totally poking the bear there. Yeah. Oh, over yeah. and over and I was over. Say, and you, over
0: again. you left She's... out in the summary my favorite line in the chapter, which was, You'll wear it silently or I'll honor you again. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man! Oh, I mean what I, I don't condone that kind of violence at all and I, I put it in my notes like I felt I feel terrible laughing at that line but it was oh I loved it <laughs> yeah violence again, doesn't solve your problems kids talk it out
2: yeah wives in domestic abuse relationships are never asking for it. But in this case, I feel like it was almost a bit of a power play. Yeah. Like she knew exactly what she was doing. Just like during the hand of the tourney, when she <laughs> forbade Robert to participate in the uh, melee, it was like, nothing could make him want to participate more yeah. than her forbidding him from doing it.
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. And just like this, like bringing up the Targaryens at just the right moment. It's I, like she wanted to be hit.
1: I wonder if she wanted to put on a bit of a show for Eddard to kind of show Eddard look how much control I have over my husband. Look <gasps> That's at where a really I am. Good point. Yeah, she's like, "Hey, look what I can do to him. You want to see I, how much can you want to see how under his skin I am? Watch this." Whack, you know. It
2: could have also been Almost like um revenge for Ned bringing up Robert's uh bastard child uh the uh, the little Barbara. girl Barra that he just met in the brothel uh before he got attacked by jamie and and telling Robert that the prostitute who Robert had begotten Bar- Barra with was in love with him and that she was young and had no sense and and cersei's standing right there <laughs> listening to the whole thing and oh oh and also how the little girl bara resembled the little girl that he begot in the veil when they were teenagers like <laughs> bringing up another bastard while he's at it cersei's just like how can i get him back for this
1: yeah that's I'm i'm looking back over the chapter now and it really is after they bring up Bera or Bara. I kinda of think of it as Barra Baratheon. Um but uh that's what that's af- it's after the talk about Bera that she really starts saying the insolent stuff. So
0: uh-huh. I don't know, I think she's insolent from sentence one.
1: I do too. But the uh skirt I ought to be in you ought to be in skirts and me in mail those comments and stuff, uh that's when it comes up
2: how she got into this little meeting in the first place like did she just oh, follow think... robert She's like, around? i'm coming <laughs> well
3: the, the, yeah. the, the whole
0: the whole basis for this meeting is to discuss the conflict between lannister and stark that took place in the streets and and that was started by Catelyn nabbing Tyrion. and so i think i, I think robert uh, i guess he's not always the most logical guy but Probably listened to her and she said, "Hey, I should be there for this. My family needs to be represented in this. It'll be one-sided if they're not." I think it's actually, I, I don't, I, I don't begrudge him at all bringing her. I think it was the right thing to do.
1: Nah, yeah, I think he ah. should have waited a little bit. He's like, oh yeah, 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 and all hungover. Oh yeah, yeah, for, like, for, it's for sure it was bad timing.
0: But when the conversation <laughs> happened, I think, I think they needed both of them to be there to talk it out.
1: Absolutely, and absolutely. The, the fact that <laughs>
0: Cersei is a bitch and drove it the way she drove that conversation the way she can and did kind of took it out of control really fast but what should have happened was a sit down where they talk about this situation and what what the result is going to be and mm-hmm. went crazy and then at the end at the end robert's just like fuck it i'm gonna go kill some boar
1: <laughs> that's his answer forever. i can't everything. deal
0: with this i'm leaving i'm gonna go hunting like what what do you mean? What are you talking about? Like it it makes you think that actually the reason he's forcing this meeting to happen right now is not to get resolution on the issue at hand, but to say, "Hey Ned, I can't I can't believe you took this long to wake up. I need you to rule while I go hunt. Finally you woke up. I'm going hunting."
1: Or like, "Yeah, I've got to get this out of the way. Cersei wants to talk about it. I just want to get this over with." And yeah. like the the Jamie the the threat to make Jamie the hand at the end of the chapter, I, w- I think that it's right calling it a threat and a well calculated one. But I also wonder if it isn't like not so much just said to keep Ned around, oh, but it's, it's also said like it's going to happen. If you leave, Jamie's going to be the hand. <laughs> well, I
0: think, it's, I think it's an empty threat. Uh, I don't maybe. Do
1: it. I don't think it's that empty. I think he knows that. Cersei would push for it, and what else is he? You know, he's gonna fold as he's done every other time to her.
2: Yeah, I already made him the Warden of the East, so it's not like completely out of the realm of possibility.
0: So he's Warden of the East, King's Guard member, and Hand of the King?
1: Uh, uh, I think at that point he would at least be removed from his duties as Warden of the East. I don't know how it would work with the Kingsguard stuff because Kingsguard's for life. So that's an interesting possibility. But mm-hmm. he king can do what he wants, so if he wants to make a Kingsguard uh, his hand, he can do it. But, um, You guys want to do some Davos After Dark?
0: I don't know. I feel like we... This was a short chapter, six pages. There was a lot plugged in there, though. Do we miss anything we need to hit
1: uh we've got the tower of um, the dream that he had at the tower
0: I'll just say about it cool battle this was the battle I was talking about earlier in the podcast when I was saying sometimes I think he gets it right what he has is three of the best warriors in the entire land, and they basically are fighting seven men and <laughs> that's what it takes to win is seven against these three right
1: and what I yeah and what I love about it is uh the continuing grayness of the characters that we're starting to see in George's world. The grayness between good and bad, it's not black and white, right? Yep. This is a very tragic battle, very cool, but it's yep. Ned doesn't want to do it.
0: Have you ever have you ever heard two opposing sides speak so respectfully of each other before doing battle? Yep. It's like, what's going on here? Maybe you guys should just sit down and talk it out. You sound yeah. really mutually respectful here. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, no matter
1: uh, what, this isn't going to end well.
0: One, one other thing: last episode,
2: we discussed whether or not Robert would stay mad at Ned. Yeah. And we predicted that he would not, or at least I remember predicting that he would not. Mm-hmm. They would bro hug it out, and I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of what happened. Yeah. Or at least, <laughs> like you mentioned, Robert's just so. Like, fed up with all of this infighting that uh, he enacted, some King's Justice was like, Your hand again. I'm out. I'm not <laughs> going to go get me some cause, pig.
0: Yeah, because I, I need you to sit this <clears> room <throat> while I go hunting. The The last quick thing uh, just they talk about the way the girls have reacted to Ned's accident. Well, accident mm-hmm. in quotes. And uh, they've never, uh, They, I think it was Vayon Poole says, never seen such anger in a girl. A fierce little thing. He's referring to Arya. She's just... She hasn't said a word since it happened. She's just bottled up anger at the whole thing. I love Arya, that's all. Mm-hmm. Scary. All right, Davos After Dark.
1: Everyone dropping off. Um, thanks for joining us this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Next episode will be Catelyn's 7th, John's 5th. Tyrion 6, Eddard's 11th, and Sansa's 3rd. Boy, Sansa's getting the shaft, huh? Her dad's up to 11 (laughs) chapters, and she's only on her 3rd. We are getting back down to just one Eddard chapter, though, which is good. So those will be chapters 40 through 44, if I'm not mistaken. And um, we'll see you then.
0: Sansa's not getting the shaft yet. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God.
1: This episode. Wow. All right, let's Davos it for a few minutes.
3: Davos after dark. Uh, uh,
1: Is there anything else that we can talk about besides the Tower of Joy?
3: Tower of Joy.
0: (laughs) I'm hoping we can spend the whole time talking about Rhaegar at court.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's do it, buddy. All right. Kick us off.
2: Okay, well, listen, before we start... During your first read-through, do you guys recall making any serious note of this initial vision or dream that Ned had? No. Or did you kind of just dismiss it as dudes with long names fighting other dudes with long names?
1: See, here's where my exceeding laziness comes into play, is I read it, and I go, he's spending a lot of time and detail describing this. There's something important about it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Carry
0: on. I'll figure it out later. <laughs> um, I th- I think I I think I, I I certainly didn't I did certainly didn't note it as important as it really is <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But I think I thought there was something up the the way they were talking about it the, the the cryptic responses that they give about we were not there on the Trident. No shit, I was there. I saw you weren't there. Like they're just kind of weird answers to the questions. And so yeah, I felt like there was something weird going on, but yeah, I didn't I definitely didn't tie anything together.
1: Yeah, so this is of course used as one of the primary bits of ammunition in the RLJ theory. Specifically that we've got three members of the King's Guard at the Tower of Joy, where Ares, the king who is already dead, is not. And they were there the whole time instead of in King's Landing with Ares.
0: Can I just bring up a... I have another bone to pick with the King's Guard and how this whole thing works. So, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it because there's other stuff to talk about, but if, you're, if the primary job is to guard and protect the King, why do they really do anything else other than stand around and guard him? Mm-hmm. Like, what business do they have being anywhere else?
1: And I think that's the big question here, is what were they doing? Um,
0: Breaking I'll, their oath.
1: I also think that it's interesting from the other end, we never hear Ares about Ares complaining that his Kingsguard isn't around him. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we don't hear what he said behind closed doors and stuff, but we never hear of a, oh, if only the rest of my Kingsguard were here. Where are they? He, but, As far as we know, he didn't
2: care. But at this point, would these three be acting on orders
0: of Rhaegar? Why? That's my that's my point. Yeah, Rhaegar's not the king. Like so why are they taking no, orders but, from but him? No, but but
2: would Aerys already be dead no. by default making Rhaegar
0: not before their they next... left.
1: No, they he was still alive when they left okay. to the okay, well never mind. two of them were. I'm confused about uh, the timing. Yeah. Arthur Dane who happened to be Rhaegar's best friend. Yes. That's important to point yes. out. And the other guy went uh, Oswell went uh went with them. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they were went with them. Yeah, they were there as far as we know from when Rhaegar first nabbed Lyanna. Um, and then the third guy did go down at Ares' command to get Rhaegar. So Rhaegar had not been participating in the fighting to this point, which I also think is weird. Um, he had not been fighting at all. He'd been staying and hanging out at the Tower of Joy. Uh, with Lyanna and these other three Kingsguard guys, Ares tells Hightower, Gerald Hightower, the, the third Kingsguard member who ends up being there, go and find Rhaegar, get him back here so he can start fighting.
0: He's actually, and, actually the head of the Kingsguard. Hightower.
1: Yes, he is. He's the Lord Commander. And uh, he goes, gets him. But then interestingly enough, is Rhaegar leaves and goes and fights and dies on the Trident and everything, Gerald stays. Uh-huh. He doesn't go back with him. So the three guys hang out there.
0: So there's a, there's just a ton of information elsewhere about this and why they're doing that and why they're behaving that way. But I just want to point out that I think they make a big deal in this chapter about, you know, we don't bend the knee easily uh, as the name of our uh, episode says, and that they follow their orders and they took an oath. One of the guys says, we took an oath. Well, they're breaking their oath by not being with Ares in my opinion. And they're doing it because they believe they they believe probably that Rhaegar is a better ruler. And that I think they're I think there's actually an open rebellion not just from Robert but from Rhaegar to take over for Ares before his death.
1: I can see that as the only reason, uh, but I do think it's interesting that Ares didn't seem to put up too much of a fight and wonder where his Kingsguard was. <clears throat> But yeah, to to them, though, they are not breaking their vows. Uh, in fact, they say it very specifically. Even Gerald, the the head of the Kingsguard, says, we swore a vow uh, justifying his and the other two being there at the Tower of Joy. He said We swore a vow and we do not flee. Uh, they knew already that Ares was dead. And so if they were protecting who would be the true heir
0: yeah.
3: –
1: they would be going to. Uh, they'd be going with Derry to 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 go with Viserys and Rhaenys Yeah, Rainas, uh, right. Yeah, and Raina, pregnant. Or, or, and Danny, the wife's name is? Yep, Danny <laughs> in the womb. They would be going with them, right? They'd be going to track them down. Mm. Uh, but obviously, and, they see something very important in John because to them, they are keeping their vow by yeah. staying. Yes.
2: That's further proof that Rhaegar and Liana were probably like, oh, fish, like married, making John a legitimate heir. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would have That's stayed bad. for a bastard, mm-hmm. knowing what we know of bastard culture in this world.
0: Well, it, it also would have they been. Are scum. It also would have been Rhaegar's only living child because the other two children were killed at the hands of the mountain at the Red Keep. So I don't know whether it's officially official or not. But he is the only heir, and so it could be te- – technically, if, if 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 what you believe is uh, – there's a few steps here. If what you believe is they're actually taking orders from Rhaegar because they believe him to be the true king now, he's telling them, I'm going to make this a fish, even if it isn't a fish. Maybe it is already. I'm going to make it official. Stay here and guard the heir because that's your responsibility. Well, Technically I would think their responsibility, even if they're disobeying Ares, is and and, going, and taking orders from Rhaegar would be to be with Rhaegar on the trident. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I have but I have been coming down a little hard on this. Technically, the rules of the King's Guard say one King's Guard member has to be guarding the king at all times. So the other yep. ones can do whatever the king wants them to do. They don't have to be around him. It just seems odd to me that they're so frequently not around him.
1: But they're still at his beck and call. Yes. It's not like, oh, he's got one, so we can go and do it whatever we want.
0: Yes, they're still under and, his command.
1: And that's what I keep harping on, too, is why wasn't Ares more worried about all his guys ditching him?
0: Yes, absolutely. Especially given that, well, from, from other sources, you get the feeling that he he did not trust Rhaegar at this point. Right. That that he thought Rhaegar was up to up to something suspicious, and yeah, I mean, he. I would Was think just given, so given crazy and nature, out of it that yeah, that it, he just
1: didn't even care anymore.
0: Well, there, yeah, there's two extremes. He's either so crazy and out of it that he's not even thinking about it, and he's just kind of nutso. or the other side is we we know that he's just paranoid at this point. He sees shadows everywhere, and because of that, you would have thought he would have just had them ring around him the whole time, right? right. So I could see it either way, but or maybe he maybe
1: he figures like someone like Arthur Dane is Rhaegar's best buddy. Maybe he doesn't want someone like that close to him if yeah, he's maybe. distrustful Absolutely. of Rhaegar. That's
0: true. But Regardless, it just seems like something is rotten in the state of Denmark.
1: Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot of unanswered stuff going on here, um, but you know, it, it seems like we've got to be getting some answers about the Tower of Joy soon. Uh, one and thing what that
2: promise... I promise. Sorry. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I want you to go. The this promise. is now. No.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Let's promise, talk about promise, the Promise. promise. Yep.
2: What promise did he make? I don't know. But she's on his, her, her deathbed. That, that much is clear when the promise was promised. Mm-hmm.
0: The, yeah. Yeah, is it, is it, uh, so there's some, <laughs> lots of different alternatives. Um, take my body back to Winterfell. Seems like it's something more dire than that. Take care of this, uh, of this boy and raise him as your own. Tell them he's yours don't let Robert know that he's mine and Rhaegar's. That's Um, the
2: camp that I'm in.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's, there's kind of, it could be any sort of any, anywhere in that range, right. It could be something that she asked him to promise.
2: Yeah. Liana had a real nose for what Robert was all about. Yeah. I mean, like even at some point um, uh, she, she tells Ned when, when she's still alive. Oh, yo! Oh, when she finds out that she's now betrothed to the young lord of Storm's End, um, she knows that he'll never be happy with just one woman. And Ned says that, uh, you know, maybe that'll change once he gets married. And she says, love is sweet, but it cannot change a man's nature. Which uh, she seems to have a handle on what Robert's nature really is. Yeah. And that nature is... Killing the child of Rhaegar Targaryen.
3: So
1: the final thing that I just wanted to to add to all of this is exceedingly disappointing to some people. Let's just cast a, a dark pale over all of this. Uh, I was just reading about some of the stuff that George Martin has said about the Tower of Joy dream, um, and this is a quote that I found from Clearback in two thousand two. He says, you'll need to wait for future books to find more about the Tower of Joy and what happened there, I fear. I might mention, though, that Ned's account, which you refer to, was in the context of a dream, and a fever dream at that. Our dreams are not always literal.
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh, bullshit. What a cop-out. I call bullshit.
2: (laughs) Oh, wriggling his way out of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I call bullshit. I think he's he's just trying to cast some doubt. Yeah, a little red herring there. It, I, it it it's it, all it makes me want is to meet Howland Reed more. <laughs>
1: the answers seem to lie with him. He's all that's left. Yep. Well, um we've arrived at the end time wise of our episode.
0: But I wanna keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's just so much here. We can pick it up next episode, but man, there's just a lot a lot of fun stuff to talk about with the Tower of Joy.
1: Yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, good discussion though this week, guys, and um, it was fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening.
3: Good Thanks, evening guys. all.
2: Thanks for chatting with us on Twitter and the Facebooks and leaving good reviews. We seriously appreciate it. It is awesome. We
0: love hearing from you guys.
2: It's
1: yeah. a lot of fun chatting. It yeah. is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll just leave this just share a little bit. When we decided, be besties. when when we mm-hmm. decided to do this, the three of us, it was kind of pretty casual. Like, we'd been talking about the books for a while, and we're just like, we all kind of wanted to do a reread around the same time, and we're like, yeah, why don't we kind of do it together? And I was like, yeah, we can talk about it when we're reading, and do it kind of on the same schedule. It was like, well, if we're talking about it, why don't we record it? I was like, well, let's podcast it. But everything leading up to it was just like oh i'm you know nobody's gonna listen to this thing it's just three friends talking about this thing and you know to be honest the feedback's been great and we have a lot of fun doing it we would probably do it if nobody listened anyway no definitely (laughs) but yeah but we're you know we love the feedback too so thanks everybody Yep.
1: all right remember to let the wookie win